Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kemp, and I'm the host of this program. It is a true blessing to keep our faith as we travel down our journey of salvation. But unfortunately, there are so many of us, including myself, that experience ups and downs with our faith. When we are overflowing with grace, we become more passionate, but during other times when sin enters our lives, we begin to distance ourselves from God and live as if we've never been saved. Pastor Robert Robinson, who wrote the lyrics of a famous hymn we all know, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, lived a life such as this. Robert Robinson was born in 1735 of England. At the age of eight, his father died and lived a very poor life. When he was 14, Robinson was sent to London to make money and learn the skills of a hairdresser. At the age of 18, Robert Robinson becomes a hairdresser. One day, he and his friends were drinking alcohol as they were walking down a road worrying about their future. They ran into an elderly person who appeared as a fortune teller and told Robinson he would live to see his children and grandchildren. At the time, Robert did not think much of what this person told him, but as time went on, he couldn't get her words out of his ears. After this day, Robert thought very deeply about his future. He thought about what he could do to become a good father and grandfather to his children and grandchildren. Coincidentally, one day he went to hear the message of Pastor George Whitefield. The scripture reading that day was Matthew chapter 3 verse 7, and the great evangelist searching sermon on the wrath to come haunted Robinson's heart blessedly. Let's read together the scriptures of Matthew chapter 3 verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brought of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. We'll come back to share more after our first song. My foes are many, they rise against me, but I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war, I will not fear the storm, my help is on the way, my help is on the way.
After that night, after hearing Pastor George Whitefield's sermon, Robert Robinson was immersed in the presence of the Lord. He repented of his sin and earnestly prayed that God would lead to the road of salvation. After accepting the Lord as his Savior, he decided that he was going to give up his life for Christ. From then on, in order to rightfully know and understand the Word, Robinson pursued a detailed study of the scriptures and early Christian authors. Years later, he was invited as a Calvinistic Methodist to the oversight of a chapel at Norfolk, his hometown. At this time, he was 23 years old when he realized that in the midst of all of his struggles, he thought he would one day die living in those circumstances for the rest of his life. God graciously came and found him, and Pastor Robert Robinson truly was grateful to God and began to deeply think and meditate on the fact that the source of all of his blessings were God's grace. This is when he wrote the lyrics of the hymn titled, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Pastor Robert Robinson served in his ministry as a pastor with a burning passion for Christ, and in addition to the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, wrote other hymns as well. Not only did many people follow Robinson, but Robinson also had mutual feelings towards those who followed him. But unfortunately, as time went on, Robinson's love for Christ faded. He felt that his calling as a pastor did not fit him. He eventually left his ministry as a pastor and began to live a rebellious life joining the secular world. His life now was more rebellious than before he met Christ. Every night, he surrounded himself with women and alcohol, as if he was a prodigal son who ran away. Then one day, Robert Robinson realizes how far he has come from God. He came to the thought that as shameful as he was, he would never have a chance in returning back to God, and takes a long vacation to heal his sad heart. While he is on vacation, he randomly meets a woman on a train and she begins to hold a conversation with him, saying that she has been studying some hymns, that she wanted to write hymn songs that will please the Lord. Then she continued on to tell him about a particular hymn that has given her a great influence in her life, and that hymn was the very hymn that he himself wrote, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. The moment he heard her confessions of this hymn, He covered his face with his two hands, and he began to cry. He had tears of thankfulness for the God who still did not leave his side, though he loved him, and lived a rebellious life, as well as tears of sincere repentance.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is how to recognize false teaching based on Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 23. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Francis. You know, there's this passage that we're looking at today. It, it talks about how sometimes in church we can make issues of things that really weren't meant to be issues. And sometimes church can go such a direction and go off on this tangent and we become something that God never intended it to be. See, in the Colossian church, there were these people that brought their baggage, just like us. We all have baggage, right? We all have the way we grew up, the way we thought church ought to be and everything else. And all these people brought this baggage in with them. Um, in the Colossian church, there were these people who were called uh, the Essenes. They were, uh, they were this, this uh, real... Um, it's a, it's a Jewish sect, but they were they were the Essenes, which which means the purists. In fact, they had this idea that um, they did, they wanted to be so far from anything sinful, anything gluttonous, anything like that, that they made these new rules up, like they would never eat anything that tasted good. Like, uh, isn't that crazy? But they thought, no, we don't want to be gluttons. We don't want to be all about pleasure. We don't want to be hedonists. So they would find the most old, dry, coarse piece of bread and eat that. They would never drink juice. They would only drink water. Many of them, they wouldn't eat during the daytime. They said, you know what? We only really need that one meal, you know. And, and so we're going to do that. And, and we're going to force ourselves. And we're going to make our bodies this way. We're doing this for God. And then they were judging other people in the church going, hey, I saw you put jelly on your toast. You know, that, that type of thing where it was suddenly it became this judgmental thing of, 
Okay, it's one thing if you really believe that you want to do that for yourself and you believe that's what God wants you to do, but to enforce that on someone else. And biblically, where do you find this anyways? And can you really support some of these things biblically? And they, they started, you know, questioning, wait, you guys worship on Saturday, you worship on Sunday. And they started arguing of what day you ought to worship on. What day is the Sabbath? What are you allowed to do on the Sabbath? And they started creating all these different rules. And, and there were philosophers in the church. There were, there were all these different people bringing in this different, um, this different teaching. And what Paul writes to them is saying, you guys are missing it. Church should be all about Jesus, and that's it. Church should be a time where you are blown away by what Jesus did. And what are all these other things that you're bringing in and judging each other? See, because in in, uh, in Colossians chapter 2, he had just finished saying, and this is what uh, Joshua was preaching a few weeks ago, in Colossians 2, in verse 13, he says, When you were dead in your sins... You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that stood against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Okay, so Paul writes, he goes, do you understand what's happened to you? You were dead in your sins. That means you were going to face God because of because of this book. Because of all these commands in here, you're you're going to face God and answer to all the commands, all the written code you had broken. That's a scary thought. Can you imagine you standing before the creator, this amazing holy being, and then you were like, could you imagine standing before him knowing that you're guilty? And there's no hope for you. You've just broken all these commands, and now you get to stand before God. And I think about the, the trial you're talking about, you know, for this kid to go, man, I'm going to stand before a judge. Well, that's nothing compared to standing before God one day. And going, look at what I've done. He goes, you understand, that was you. And, and that's, that's all of us. We're not good. No one in this room is good. Okay, you may say, well, but all my friends tell me I'm good, you know. And, and, I, and I feel so good when I'm around them. Yeah, but what about at night? When you're by yourself, do you really believe that you're a good person when no one else is around? And, and, and you know, it's so funny because I'll hear people say, no, but my grandma, my grandma is such a sweet lady and, and she'll go to heaven because she, she was such a good person. And, and, and it's so funny because I, it's, it's weird how in my mind I start believing that and thinking, wow, yeah, look at that little old lady over there. I mean, she couldn't hurt anyone. But then you remember, wait, that little lady was 18 at one point. Okay, and, uh, you know, there's, there's, she's had a lifetime of things that she's done. You know, we, we sometimes look at certain people and think, okay, but not that person, not that person, not that person. I guarantee you, when we're alone, and it's us and God, we know what we've done. I, I don't really believe there are people in this room that are so much better than me and live such good lives and you really have that much peace about what you've done in your lifetime. You know what you've done. I know what I've done. And it's a scary thought to think that one day we would stand before God and he would punish us for that. And from what the Bible says, that punishment's pretty severe. <laughs> pretty severe. It's, it's, it's hell. And, and I know we don't like to talk about that. I know, you know, hey, you know, let's, let's get rid of hell. You know, let's, let's just black out those parts in the Bible. Let's rip it out. Let's pretend it's not there, but that's the reality. And the Bible calls hell the undiluted wrath of God.
undiluted. That's not, you know, you know, remember a few weeks ago when I talked about those missionaries and, and, and how they were tortured for those three hours? And, and we all just sat there grieving with them, thinking, oh, what would it be like to be tortured for three hours for your faith and just holding on and, and all these disgusting things they were doing to them before they slit their throats. And we're thinking, oh, man, could I do it? Could I do it? Could I do it? Well, picture more than three hours. Picture eternity. Why? Because we've offended this God and we've done things that are offensive to him. And so here I am as this human being, I'm about to face this. And then God, in his great love for me, has his son, Jesus Christ, comes down. And it says he took all of that and he nailed it to the cross. All that eternity of punishment he took on that cross. You took up, talk about a few hours of suffering for my sake. And so now because of that, because I believe that and because I embrace that, the Bible says, so then I've been forgiven. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. So this one person just took all of that eternity of wrath away from me and nailed it to the cross. And Paul's saying, so why are you making issues of anything else? That should be all that matters to you. And that's why he says in verse 16, he goes, therefore, because Jesus did all that, he says in verse 16, therefore, don't let anyone judge you. By what you eat or drink or in regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are all a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is in Christ. He goes, don't don't come to church and allow other people to judge you like the Essenes are going, wait a second. You know, why did you eat raisin bread? Why did you, you know, drink coffee? Why did you do that? I don't know what they ate back then. But, you know, why did you do that? And, and Paul's saying. Don't let them make that the issue. Okay, don't ever let anyone take the focus off of Jesus Christ. You've been forgiven because of what Jesus did on that cross. Don't let anyone take away any of that. Don't let them judge you. Don't let them discourage you. This ought to be a time where we come together and we rejoice. We celebrate what Jesus did in our lives. Because don't let someone come and tell you, well, you need Jesus and this ritual. You need Jesus and this. And I don't know if you're doing that well enough and have you lose your joy, lose your your focus on Jesus Christ and turn it to something else. And I thought, you know, we do that. We do that in church sometimes. And we can judge people based upon things that aren't even biblical. Have you ever done that? I, 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 used, I, I was thinking through all the ways I used to judge people, and I still do, I'm sure. I'm trying to figure out all the ways and trying to get rid of them. I, I, I used to... Uh, I used I used to wear a tie every weekend, and uh, I used to judge people for the way they dressed going to church. Obviously, I got over that. Um, but but you know, no, I, I used to think, man, you guys don't have the respect, you know, to 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 wear your best on the weekend, you know, for a holy God. And someone said, well, where do you get that? Your clothes, you know, like there's a certain like, where do you get ties? Where do you get this formal wear to worship God? And someone said, you know, I I try to spend my time getting my heart right to come to church. And I I feel like God doesn't care what I wear. 
And I thought, wow, that's, that makes sense. And uh, so now I judge people who wear ties. No, I'm no, it, it's just it's just one of those things where you go, wait, you know, it, it just it really isn't the issue. If one person feels like he should dress up in order to honor God, praise God. If another person feels like, you know, I should just wear what I wear every day and that'd be more under God, then praise God. You know, let's just try not to make each other stumble, whatever else. It's just, you know, let's all be modest, especially as the weather gets, you know, warmer, please. And, uh, it, you know, it's just, but, but the issue is, you know, let's, let, let's keep everything on Christ and not judge each other. I, I used to judge, I used to judge the way people would parent, the way they would raise their kids. I used to totally be judgmental before I was a parent. And, uh, and, you know, like you, you just and, and, and I remember, you know, when we first had when Rachel was first born, there's this big old controversy of different parenting styles, you know, growing kids God's way or shepherding your child's heart or just love them and hug them, never hit them, you know, just just whatever, you know. And it's like, oh, you must do it this way. You must do it that way. And it's like, you know, nowadays, the most popular thing to fight about is is how to school your kids. Homeschooling, Christian school, public school, what are you doing? You know, homeschoolers unite and let's let's fight against those sinful public school, you know, parents or, you know, how dare you? I mean, how many times have I been told my kids are in public school and that's the right way to go? Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you, you know, and, and, you know, one one parent goes, you know what? I want to be in charge of raising my kid. I feel like I should raise my kid. And I believe this is the best way to raise my child is if I teach them and I believe homeschooling. Praise God. Another person says, well, I believe that they should be in a Christian school with other Christian friends, you know, and then that they, they, they create kind of like a Christian family there and, and be a life. Good, good. You know, others believe, no, I'm going to let my kid go into the public school and, and try to be a light in that campus. And, and I want to walk him or her through, you know, the struggles they go through and standing up for their faith. Good. Whatever you want to do, as long as you're doing it by faith. And, and that's where we as a church, okay, let's not fight about these things. You know, others say, well, you know what? You should never go on birth control. You know, you should just have, you should just multiply, multiply the heck out of this place, you know, and uh, I'm like, all right, you know, great, you know, because you believe that's the way you raise up an army, the next generation, everything else, you do that for the sake of the Lord, you feel like, well, you know, I believe this is the way God wants it to do it, good, good. Others go, you know what, we stopped having kids so that we could adopt, you know, kids from different places. I mean, Cornerstone's becoming known as the place for foster parenting. I mean, so many of you are taking in these orphans and kids that, that don't have parents, and it's it's just so, so stinking cool. And I go, great, great, you know. And some said, you know, I decided to stop having kids because I think God wanted me to just adopt tons of them. I'm like, right on, whatever you think is going to honor God, but I don't want these to become the main issue. Paul said, don't let anyone judge you. You have this freedom in Christ. And it's all about Christ and church should be about Christ and not about people judging each other for the way that they do things. And uh, and and he says in verse 18, he goes, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. See, there were there were people back then that were saying, you know what? Hey, I, I don't feel worthy to speak to God. So I just speak to these angels. All right. You know, and, and then the angels talk to Jesus and then Jesus talks to the father and. We've got this whole thing going. And but but you know it's it's just arrogant to think that I could approach God. Well he says, Don't let someone with that type of false humility because that's not real humility. Because first of all, 
God says there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. So you don't need to talk to a person who will talk to an angel, who will talk to, you know, someone else who will then get to Jesus. Jesus says there's only one mediator, and he tells us, commands us, talk. Talk to the Father through me. He says, when you pray, say, our daddy, our father, you have the right to have this connection with him, to speak to him. You, you can approach that throne with confidence. He goes, so don't let other people tell you by their false humility that, that somehow you can't talk directly to God. That's your freedom. He says, don't let them disqualify you from the prize. That's a reward that you should get. As a son of God, as a daughter of God, as a child of God, you get to talk to your father. He goes, so don't let these people with their false humility distract you from that. And I love the way it says in verse 19, he has lost connection with the head. You know, it's just this whole idea. He just, he just lost it. Christ is the head. And somehow when we get off on these tangents, it's just not right. In verse 20, he says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Because these are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teaching. He says, such regulations have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. He's just saying, don't let anyone distract you from Jesus. You know, people who say, well, you must suffer this way. You must do this. You must do that. No, Jesus did everything on the cross for me. He totally forgave me. And I need to just enjoy that and bask in that. He's canceled the written code. So don't tell me that I I need Jesus plus something else. I'm going to be in love with Jesus. I'm going to talk to Jesus. Jesus saved me. And to enjoy that, don't let someone else's judgmental attitude Ever take that away from you? Because Satan's always trying to take the focus off of Jesus. That's why every false religion, what do they do with Jesus? They belittle him, right? Somehow. They don't necessarily oust him. They just belittle him. Jehovah's Witnesses will say, well, he's just an archangel. The Mormons will say, well, he's, he's a god, but you can work your way to that too, and you can be a god also, just like him. You got you got the Muslims who will say that you you know he, he was a good prophet he was pretty good pretty good prophet he's a good prophet you know you, you you've got AA that'll say you know he's he's a higher power and so is that music stand you know what whatever your higher power is you know they're they're, they're all higher powers and you know gee fine you know and there's different different people teach hey Jesus but let's not say that he's God. Let's not say like Paul did in, in, in Colossians 2, verse 9, just a few verses earlier, that all the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus in bodily form. This just, well, we'll take a little bit of Jesus. Sure, he's a good prophet. Sure, he's a God. Sure, he's a higher power, superpower, whatever you want to call him. And yet the truth is, is the Bible is saying, man, don't let people take the focus off of Jesus. And yet I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want this morning to talk about other people and what they believe. My concern was with our own church. My concern is that within evangelical Christianity, we often take the focus off of Jesus Christ. I leave churches and conferences all the time. And what are people talking about? They're talking about the author, the speaker, the musician. They're not talking about Jesus. 
They're talking about how someone delivers Jesus or how someone talks about Jesus and how he talks about Jesus better than that guy talks about Jesus. He sings about Jesus better than she sings about Jesus. It's like, guys, who cares? There's one person that saved you from the pit of hell. And that's the name we ought to be lifting up, not these other people. And I thought, man, let's, let's not judge everyone else. Let's look at our own church. Let's look at Christian, you know, we, let's look at the modern evangelical Christianity cornerstone church even. Let's talk about how we'll fight and divide over things that have nothing to do with Jesus. That have to do with musical style, or the way people dress, where we school our kids, the different freedoms we have that, that aren't even biblical issues. Why would we ever fight about that for a bunch of people who've been snatched out of the pit of hell? We should just be thrilled and we should just say, you know what, I'll put all my other differences aside with everyone else in this room and go, man, life's pretty good because of Jesus. I, I think about how we, um, in, the, in the Christian church, we belittle Jesus by wanting to hear sermons about how to, how to have a happy marriage and, and jolly children and uh, how to grow my business. And ha- you guys, that stuff's all fine. But don't you want to just hear about Jesus? And what he did for you and, and just bask in that. You know, sometimes we'll talk about our failure and sin more than we'll talk about Jesus. We'll get in accountability groups. How'd you sin this week? Oh, I did this. Oh, I did this. I did. Let's talk about Jesus and what he did for us. You, you know, a big one, I think sometimes uh, when people say, hey, what are you thankful for? First thing out of our mouths. Oh, my kids, my wife. Guys, that's not OK. Um. Man, on the forefront of our minds, we should be thinking about Jesus. I mean, think about it. You were going to hell. And then Jesus. Okay? Kids seem kind of trivial after that. So is your wife, your husband, family, whatever. All Everything else is trivial compared to Jesus. I think about how we, we make a big deal. Like, I, growing up for me, church, I mean, you just, like, swearing was the worst thing in the world. And so I reduced Christianity to, okay, Christianity, Christians don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't swear, they don't have sex before marriage. And what a shame. That's Christianity? That's it? And and, and yet, I almost almost went to the liquor store this morning, and uh, I was just going to bring a beer to each service and drink one, just because I knew it would bug the heck out of some of you. And and I chickened out, you know, <laughs> just so rare for me, you know, it's like, I don't know, after the boob thing, I better just uh, I better take it easy for a few weeks. Um, but but I wanted to just to make a point that some of you, that's Christianity to you. And it was for me at one point, like, man, don't you ever touch alcohol. And yet, where's that in the Bible? The Bible talks about not getting drunk. Absolutely. Don't let you be intoxicated. Don't let it affect your mind. Um, and at the same time, I also am very careful um, if I do take a drink, and I, I drink occasionally. Ooh. I, I, I do. I, I get a drink every once in a while, and I'm very careful. I think through, okay, who am I with? Who, who's seeing me right now? And I want to make sure, because I don't want to cause someone else to stumble. I don't want any of you in this room today, and that's why I didn't bring the beer, you know, at the end to go, well, Francis drank. Oh, here I go, you know. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm careful. I go, man, if I drink and someone sees me, 
that may give them license to drink and maybe they struggle with drinking. And so I don't ever want to make someone stumble. Yet at the same time, I also don't want to become this legalist that makes a law out of something that's not in Scripture. My brother, my brother, he pastors up in the Bay Area and he works with inner city kids. And he says, he goes, man, I don't know if it's wrong, but the other night I felt like I needed to drop an F-bomb in the middle of my talk to some of these kids. And I felt like it was the most honoring thing to do before the Lord. And I thought, all right. You know, I mean, the Bible says not to let in an wholesome word, but if you really believed you could use that word in a wholesome way in that context, all right. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm not going to judge. I mean, just just get your heart and try to figure it out. And I, don't worry, I'm not going to throw anything out right now. You know, but but it's just this whole idea. It's so weird how we in the Christian world, we emphasize certain things to such a high degree. To where that almost becomes Christianity to us. When Christianity is just about Jesus. And that's why Paul's saying, don't let other people judge you. If you're really doing things for, for the Lord, great. But let's not impose rules that aren't in Scripture. Let's really think through biblically. What is in the Bible? What does God really honor? And are we lifting certain things higher than Jesus himself? Because at the end of the day, we should always leave this room just thinking about Jesus. Thinking about what he's done for us. Thinking about the fact that, wow, I uh, I was headed for a world of hurt. And then came Jesus. And that's what God wants to see of us. is people that walk away thinking about Jesus every day. Not thinking about rules. Not thinking about things that aren't even biblical issues. Not talking about political issues or whatever else and making that the... I'm not saying that any of these things are wrong. You understand that? I'm just saying that Jesus has to be at the forefront of everything or we're missing it. And so if we get caught up in a lot of these tangents, it's just going to kill us. And that's why Paul says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat, what you drink, what you consider to be Sabbath. He goes, those things were all shadows. The reality is in Christ. Okay, don't let people judge you by how you raise your kids, how you discipline your children who you marry, and, you know, just a lot of these things. As long as it's, it's you know, just, just study this book and make sure you're going by this and not what other people teach and just the baggage that we all bring into this place from the way we were raised.
Soul Gospel Ministry is looking for volunteers in tech editing to ensure the quality of the broadcast and the addition of more encouraging and empowering programs. Volunteer hours are three hours a week, and anyone who's had experience with computer before can participate. And don't worry if you're not familiar with the sound editing program. Heart and Soul will provide basic training and editing. So if anyone is interested in helping out our ministry, please contact us at 602-866-8999. Thank you. There are people who gave up their lives in honor of Christ who gave us our everlasting life. Continued is a story of the many people who endured their life with faith, titled The Voice of the Martyrs. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with The Voice of the Martyrs. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. While this is part of the Old Testament law found in Leviticus chapter 24-20, it was also widely accepted throughout the Middle East during that time. Even today, this principle still remains through the practice of modern-day justice. Though not perfect, a modern-day justice system strives to treat all citizens equal under the law. We also repeatedly see similar concepts as a reoccurring theme through television shows and movies, though at times the stories are more about revenge than justice. Although this is an ancient concept, it's still a widely held moral value in the world today. However, the purpose of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in God's Word is often misunderstood. In fact, the main purpose of this rule was to ensure that there was not to be any kind of favoritism shown in the justice system. God was saying that the same laws apply to everyone. This equality under the law helps to protect the weak from the strong. Without laws, if a person with power harms a less powerful person, there's not much that the victim could ask for due to an unbalanced power relationship. On the other hand, if a weaker person tries to harm a stronger person, the stronger person can easily retaliate and exploit the weaker individual. Therefore, God's rule of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is neither about vengeance nor about retaliation. Under God's design for justice, there is fair treatment for all. And even the weakest is protected from unfair treatment. When Jesus, God in the human body, came to earth, he interpreted this law, which had been mistaken for so long. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. As written in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38-42. Jesus clearly states that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth does not mean vengeance or retaliation. He continues on to clarify the moral value of the heaven. Verses 43 and 44 of the same chapter reads, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus loved those who chose to be his enemies. That is why he could give his life for us, who were enemies to him. 
Even on the cross, he prayed to forgive those who were persecuting him. The world was not worthy of Jesus. On June 25, 1950, early Sunday morning, the North Korean Communist Army broke the peace as they attacked their southern neighbor, marking the beginning of the Korean War. The fully armed North Korean army easily conquered the unprepared South Koreans and spread its dominance over the Korean Peninsula. Within less than a month, by July 23rd, the North Korean Communist Army had conquered all the way down to Yongwang County in South Jula Province. In Yongwang County, followers of Christ got together at Yumsan Church. When the North Korean Communist Army invaded the village, they pushed Christians out of the church and used the church as their office. Pastor Bang Ho Kim and his family was also kicked out of the church. Yet Pastor Kim remained in the village and visited church members to keep them encouraged and hopeful. For those who were weak in their faith, Pastor Kim did not give up and consistently reminded them of the promise of salvation and heaven. Meanwhile, the U.S. and South Korean forces successfully landed in Incheon to reverse the tide of the war, forcing the North Korean army to retreat. Villagers of Yongwang County and Yumsan church members waved the national flag of Korea to celebrate the victory. The young adults of Yumsan church also led a peaceful march down the main street of the village in celebration for their freedom from oppression. However, there were still many communist army and leftist forces remaining in the village. They began to take revenge on those, mainly Yumsan church members, who had waved the Korean flag and greeted the U.S. Army and South Korean forces with enthusiasm. The communists executed the young adult leaders of the church, such as Sam Do-ki and Yong Il-ro, and set the church building on fire. They further expanded their target list to include every member of the church, which soon turned into a massacre. They clubbed and pierced the families to death and later drowned 77 church members, tied with heavy weights at sea. This massacre took the lives of two-thirds of the church members, including the senior pastor, Shin Lee, Pastor Chang Wang Wan, and Pastor Bang Ho Kim and their families. However, the members of the Yumsan Church did not fail to love even their persecutors, the Communist Army and leftist forces, till they took their last breath. They continued to encourage and support each other to praise the Lord to the end. After the war was over and the Communist Party was defeated, a few leftist members who led the oppression and the massacre of Yumsan Church still lived in the village and feared retaliation. However, the survivors of Yumsan Church Massacre did not take revenge. And as one of his first missions, even more remarkably, Lee Kim, the son of Pastor Bang Ho Kim, began to visit the leftist members in the village who led the massacre and took the lives of his family and friends to spread the word of the gospel, overflowing with love and forgiveness.
The Korean Peninsula was painted with blood of revenge after the Japanese occupation and the Korean War. This may seem natural and even fair in worldly terms, where the definition of justice seems to include the concept of retaliation. However, so many Christians showed the world the new solution called love, which was in a totally different dimension from worldly justice. The Bible tells us to leave the judgment to God. This does not mean that we must live in dejection. It simply means that we don't have to worry about vengeance ourselves. The order that is given to us is to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. As Christians, all we need to do is love our enemies, pray for our persecutors, keep God's will, and trust that God will do the justice himself. The world is not worthy of those who love and pray for their enemies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Voice of the Martyrs.
Robert Robinson experienced God's patience and sincerity and came back before the Lord. He moved to Cambridge, England, first as a lecturer, then as a pastor, and remained there the rest of his life, devoting his life to Christ. God is sincere. He will never leave his people that he has once chosen, nor will he give up on them. Have you ever gone through a hard time because you cannot feel the presence of God? Or have you been tempted to go back to your old lifestyle that you've lived before knowing Christ? We as chosen children of God cannot do that. It may seem that we have left God, but we will not be able to leave Him forever. God will not allow that to happen to us. However, this also does not mean that because God will never let go of us, we may live however we please. Those are only the thoughts of a young infant who do not know the heart of their father. To know that God will not give up on me does not mean for us to think that although I live by my own desires, He will still save me. But in any circumstances I may face, no matter how hard it may be, that I not give up on God, because I believe He will not give up on me. In whatever circumstance you may be in right now, no matter how hard it may be, I hope that you will not give up and will not be swayed by the things around you. The root of all blessings is the one and only Heavenly Father. For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. These are the very scriptures of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I hope that all of our listeners will firmly believe in our Lord, who will guide us in every moment of our way to Him. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week, and God bless. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near. And I will fear no more.